The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building Resilience. Talking Trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. Difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Good morning, Australia. Good evening, America. It's Tony Lontis, and we're live from the Talabudra Valley on the Gold Coast today, where it's hot like an oven. I've just been outside and quickly walked back in. A huge shout out to my Radio Tech Rebel, the one who brings this show together, connects all my guests live, and you'll be excited to know it. Each and every one of them is live on the show already, listening in the background. Hello, girls. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Um, so this morning, uh, later on in the show, we're going to talk to Dr. Beck, followed by Trish and filling out the show with Kerry. But before we get on to our interviews for today, I just wanted to let you know I've had some amazing conversations with people this week. And a lot of those conversations centered around following their dreams and where their life was at at this point in time. So my darling listeners, I'm just wondering, are you living the life of your dreams? If not, I want you to send me a message and tell me your thoughts. I know some of you um, are following exactly what you want to do and our guests on the show this morning, I know they're all following their dreams and living their life to the fullest. But I want to hear from the people this morning who don't quite fit, uh, think that they're there yet or think that they're missing out on something and I want to know about your feelings in that realm. Um, also today, I want to remind you that my friend Moana Robinson has a wonderful book coming out called Be Styled for Life, Living with Sass and Style Over 50, and her book is in pre-release um, because it isn't quite released yet, and she's uh, having a book launch in January, but her book is a must-read book by a professional stylist and life coach, Moana Robinson, and it's been designed to empower you to take charge of this next stage of life and rediscover your sass and style. So I know it's a great book. It's filled with wonderful information tips tricks and all the rest and i'm going to put her website up in the chat box for all of you to see and i'd get in and get it quick while it's on pre-release because once it's launched it's going to go off like hotcakes so in other news this week i just wanted to remind you all that in january 2020 we are launching radio 4 
AUS. It will be the Australian equivalent of the American platform and hopefully we'll be filling it with Australian hosts of all different genres talking about a whole heap of different things. So that's really exciting news for me. I have a couple of foundation hosts. One of those is show favourite Tracy Tully and Tracy will be launching her show alongside my new show. So this show will stay the same. You'll still hear me on W4WN each week without fail but also you'll be able to hear me on a different day and a different time on Radio 4 AUS. And I'm really excited to be launching the new show. Um, I'm thinking that I will keep a similar format of talkback radio uh, and guests listening in uh, and you being able to talk and question the guests that we have on the show. Um, but I'm actually open to suggestions. So listeners, what would you like to hear on a radio show since we've always already got this one up and going just wondering what you'd like to hear on another show i know that one of our guests is planning to host her own show from a business perspective um and my dreams and vision for the future is to have an australian equivalent uh women for women's network plus a business channel plus a lifestyle channel perhaps a health and wellness channel but we'll see how we go in australia online radio is relatively unknown compared to you awesome americans who are all over online radio and who listen to it in droves um you're also on top of the podcast listeners uh, track for the world as well so go america um also this week i'm actually getting together with a key group of women to have a tribe around me for next year. So I'm looking forward to meeting them for lunch and having their input about what they see 2020 unfolding like. Um, later in the show, we're going to talk to Kerry from Brain Thinking, our other Radio Tony awesome sponsor. And today we're going to chat about brain quadrants. And because you all know that I've done my HBDI testing with Kerry, we're going to explore what some of those quadrants look like and in particular what my specific brain quadrant looks like and then some discussion around what other people's brain quadrants might look like. So, Ruth, I have to say I'm not that happy that I am not where I want to be in life yet. And Harper says, I'm pretty happy with my life. And Oliver says, I guess I'm not in the right place. I see myself in life yet. So, Ruth and Oliver, if you're not in the place where you see yourself, what's holding you back? Is there something in particular? Have you experienced some trauma? Has life not been kind to you? What do you think is stopping you from reaching out and attaining the life that you want? Are you fearful? Are you scared that things might turn out as you want them to? Uh, Violet says, I'm close to where I want to be, I guess. So, Violet, if you're close to where you want to be, what's the extra thing that you'd like to do to get you to the place that you want to be? 
I'm curious to know what holds people back from obtaining what they want because I know that I'm 52 and I didn't discover radio until this year, 2019, and I didn't know that it was going to be one of the great loves of my life. I never had any aspirations to be on radio. I never had any aspirations really to be a public figure, but I know now that once I've just tapped into doing that, that I love it, that it's my passion and it's my passion to help other people discover what rocks their boat, what makes their life complete and how they can be the best person they can be. And I'm telling you that to be the best person you can be is not an easy road. It means that you have to challenge yourself. You have to challenge the way you think. And particularly, you have to challenge the stories you tell yourself in your brain. And I know that we uh, talk a bit about our brain, but it's such a key to having the life that you want. It's changing the way you talk to yourself. It's changing the way you think about yourself. And it can have a powerful effect on your life. Um, Ruth says, I've been too busy doing for everyone else and not myself. Yes, Ruth, that's a key thing for women. We give and we give and we give and we forget to give back to ourselves. But do you know that once you start giving back to yourself and once you start caring for yourself, the world becomes a better place and your life becomes better because you can't give to others if you don't give to yourself first. If your cup is not full, you cannot fill others' cup and it's so important and a lot of us have ingrained in our story that we have to be self, uh, self we have to give to others and not be selfish. It is not selfish to look after yourself. It is not selfish to care for yourself in the first instance. Violet says, I don't put enough time into me. Again, I hear this from women and from men, Oliver. I hear the same thing, more so from women because we are the nurturers, creators and carers in life. But men have a caring aspect to their personalities as well. And again, I can't reiterate enough how important it is to fill your own cup, to look after yourself first, to do what makes you happy. And if you can do one thing starting today, right today and right after this show is to do something that makes you happy. If that's a walk along the beach, if that's calling a friend, if that's going to lunch with people you like and enjoy, if that's having a sleep, if it's reading a book, I want to encourage you to do that. Do that this weekend and start doing it on a weekly basis. And then once you get used to doing that, then start doing little things on a daily, a daily, because that will change your life. And as you become fuller and as you become happier, you will see a change in your life. And who knows where that will lead. As you know, my story in doing those steps has led me to radio and I'm passionate about it and passionate about talking to each of us. And Oliver, every single one of us is so busy in life. Life now for me is busier than I was than when I was a single parent raising my two, two children. And now I actual, actually schedule things into my life that fill me up 
So today, right after the show, I'm having lunch with a group of girlfriends and that's my, I've scheduled that into my calendar, my very busy, hectic calendar for weeks on end and it's important and I won't pull out of it and I'll keep doing those things. And yes, it's incredibly hard, but I believe in it. So we are going to jump on to a 30 second break. And when we come back, I'm going to be telling you about my amazing friend, Dr. Beck Jackson. Over to you, Rebel. Keeping the conversation going on the suppressed social and moral issues. This is Radio Tony on W4WN. Join Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with your secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Radio Tony on W4WN, your safe space for tough conversations. And welcome back, listeners. This morning we have the incredible Dr. Beck Jackson. And just before I introduce you to her live, Dr. Beck is a psychologist, author, and strategic leadership coach who is sought out by professionals in high-demanding, volatile, uncertain, and complex environments. She shares from her basis of 20 years of experience gained working in prisons, military, national security and in the private sector and she offers a fresh perspective for clients unsure what path may lead them to success. Dr Beck has empowered thousands of clients to take the daunting journey into their own psychology in order to live a rich, full and meaningful life. She helps people put steps in place to align their self-awareness with their actions and their interpersonal relationships. Dr. Beck is an engaging, inspiring and approachable speaker who brings her life passions of psychology, leadership, mindfulness and human performance all together. She's also the author of a fabulous new book called The Journey of You, Navigating Life's Challenges. Dr. Beck, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I have been waiting for this day forever and I'm really privileged listeners because I've seen Dr. Beck from the concept of her book to book launch and I'm excited to have her on the show today. Welcome Beck. Hi Tony, how are you? I'm really good, thanks. How was your book launch? Oh my goodness, it has been such a crazy week, crazy in all the best possible ways. That's fantastic. So the launch went well and you had a great time? Yeah, it went well. We had an absolutely packed room. Um, Everybody was just so uh, excited. I think a bit like me, when you've been visualising something for such a long time, it's really surreal when it actually comes to life and you find yourself standing there in reality. It's just, yeah, incredible. And for our listeners, writing a book is no mean feat. There is an incredible amount of work uh, that goes into it. There's lots of different steps. So when you finally get that book in your hand and you go to book launch, it is an amazing experience. And uh, I encourage all of you to start writing. It's it's a great process and it's a very healing one. So, Beck, you've worked in so many diverse roles with incredibly different populations of people. Are there any 
common challenges that people face? Yeah, absolutely. Like it doesn't seem to matter. What I've found is whether I've been working with kids, adults, teenagers, private sector, public sector. Um, I think you mentioned in the intro I started my career um, working in the justice sector, so in prisons and youth justice, um, all the way through to now, the majority of my work is with military and national security, um, you know, people. And what I found is people are people and we have the same common challenges. It doesn't matter what our background is or, you know, where we are in our lives at the moment. Finding a life that has purpose, finding people around us who love us and support us, um, yeah. raising families, managing the stress. I just heard some of your listeners yes. saying about the busyness of life, absolutely yes. living with, living through grief, living through loss, um, getting knocked down and then having to get back up again, yeah. you know, feeling good enough, like feeling as though yes. you're pretty enough, smart enough, loved enough, successful yeah. enough, all of yeah. that. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're human challenges. So, Everybody, everybody faces them. Um, and I think the biggest thing I've noticed is people just want to be happy, however they define that. It's just yes. having a, a happy life. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes that means um, getting rid of uh, toxic people in your life and that in the, itself, recognising that those people in and around you may be toxic and may be actually harming you in a way that's not good for you, that's a, a real challenge for some people, isn't it, Beck? It is. It's a massive challenge. And particularly if those people, if those relationships are toxic or, um, you know, if there's something about the person which means that they're just having a really toxic impact on you and the people that yes. you love, um, I think the thing that makes that the most challenging is if you can see the trajectory, how they got to where they were. Yes. Um, and particularly if you're somebody who is a loving and compassionate and, and giving, empathic, person. giving person, absolutely, Tony, you just keep giving and giving and giving and pouring, you know, your yourself into those relationships. Yes. And sometimes that's not serving, well, it's definitely not serving you, but also it doesn't serve them because yeah. uh, it just reinforces that behavior so um, incredibly difficult to recognize when you're in that situation and even more difficult to do something active to get out of it but it's so important yeah Um, and it goes back to that conversation with my listeners about giving back to yourself is not selfish no Um, not at all and if you get to the point where you recognize that you have toxic people and, and when I say toxic Beck do you want to give your spiel of what the term toxic means for me i would say toxic is um it's almost like uh it's like a poison so it's you know there's nothing um productive or healthy or supportive um about that interaction or that relationship and you know i i have been really careful i guess across you know the career that i've had of being able to separate people from their behavior or from their interactions and obviously that's been really important for me to work in some of those you know very difficult jobs where um people uh they they do behave in a way or they have behaved in a way which you know is down the end of the spectrum of you know what we would say the most toxic behaviors that people can engage in yeah um so being able to yeah separate separate the person from the behavior but the behavior itself it's just like a cancer you know it just it just grows and it grows and it grows like a poisonous cancer um 
And like I said, even if you can see the trajectory, how people get there, um, yes. you can't stand by and just let that keep festering and, away. And you can't change them either. You can no. only do things that protect you and your psyche. And that's often really hard to do, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, re it's really hard because um, I, I actually read a fantastic book at Easter. I was in um, Sri Lanka when the yes. bombings happened, which was all very intense. That's a whole different side oh. story. But um, oh. I, read, I read the book called The Courage to Be Disliked. Yes. Um, and it's fantastic because it, it really does deliver on that message around, um, you know, you, there's a, you have to be mindful of the boundary between yourself and others yes. and mindful that you're responsible for your stuff and they're responsible and no for their else. stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And being able to be really, uh, really actively mindful about that separation between yourself and others is, is such an important self-care and self-protective skill. Yes, and it's yep. so important. If you've had any sort of trauma in your life, it becomes increasingly important that you protect yourself and you protect any of the healing and work that you've done on yourself um, to yep. get to where you are now. And you would have seen lots of that, Beck. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I guess, you know, for me, seeing people on both sides of those relationships as well. So seeing people yeah. who have been the, you know, the victims or the sufferers of trauma or survivors of trauma, and also yeah. seeing the people who've been at the, at the perpetration of a lot of that trauma as well. Yeah. Um, you start to see how complex that, um, you know, that relationship is because a lot of the people who do find themselves engaging in those behaviours have been victims as well so it's just such a uh you know entwined messy uh yes. tangle that yes. yeah I think when people can turn inwards and focus on themselves and their own psychology and their own behaviour and start Agreed. working on themselves that's where the healing really begins for everybody yeah so if you if you recognize toxic behaviour in other people the best thing you can do is continue the work on yourself and and limit your exposure to that because yep, that at the end of the day is their cross to bear I guess yep. is, uh, words you could use yep. um so Beck, I'd, I'd really like to talk about some of the uh areas you've worked in your in your life and I know that's digressing from what we uh wanted to talk about <laughs> but your work in prisons and military and national security um I'm guessing dealing with those levels of people they've seen lots of horrible things is that correct yeah absolutely so um as you can probably imagine uh lots of lots of trauma um yes. lots of moral injury as well so yes. where people's sort of sense of what's right and wrong um yeah. what they hold dear their kind of their ethic and moral you know ethics and moral values mm -hmm. um being yeah. compromised um and also um you know a lot of a lot of suffering but i think probably the thing that I now reflect on 20 years working across all those different environments yeah. is um, you know is also the incredible degree of resilience the incredible degree of um, compassion and strength and um, 
you know, strong moral compass yes. that a lot of those yes. people have that need to work in those environments and just the, the huge uh, degree of rising skills that they have to develop um, yes. in order to keep working in those spaces because they're just getting even more um, complicated, complex, yes. challenging. Uh, it's a pretty, it's going to be a pretty, um, pretty tough world out there in the future, I think, for those people. I, I agree with you, Beck, um, which leads perfectly into um, a question about the difference between people who are able to build resilience and those don't. And just for our listeners, resilience, I'll get back to explain um, what resilience skills are and that we're not necessarily born with resilience. It's something that we can learn, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I would say that you know if we had to if we had to sort of put numbers around it, obviously um, that your experience before you're born in utero, um, yes. you know if that's been a healthy experience, and if uh, mum when she's carrying baby has had a healthy life, then you're sort of born with a a predisposition almost to have some resilience just based yes. on your you know perinatal kind of journey. Um, yes. But once you hit the world, it really is that uh, external world experience and then the way you engage and reflect on that which is what uh, builds that resilience yeah yeah so when you talk about resilience can you tell our listeners what you mean by that absolutely so um, I think one of the things that people sometimes misconstrue as being resilience is that resilience is like an armour, you know that you sort of um, it's that very sort of stoic philosophy of um, being armoured up um, and, and not allowing anything to penetrate that. But when yes. we talk about resilience in terms of psychology or in terms of um, emotional resilience, it's actually about um, when you do find yourself um, knocked down, if you do have some kind of uh, blind side or life experience that, um, or trauma or, you know, hurt that uh, comes along unexpectedly, it's about... Um, how you navigate your way through that and then yes. rise stronger and and go on to thrive afterwards. So it's that getting knocked down, getting back up. Um, one of the best analogies that I've heard is it's like a rubber band where you sort of stretch it, you know, to almost breaking point. And then yes. um, when you release the rubber band, it bounces back. So it's that kind of emotional stretchability that yes. you manage to kind of um, uh, build up over time and over the course of your life and different yeah. life experiences, yeah. And resilience is about some key things like your ability to accept change and uh, move through change, um, your ability to be flexible, um, your ability to be optimistic. Um, they're all keys to developing resilience, aren't they, Beck? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also about... Um, I think it's a one of the, the great quotes that I heard um, uh, or that I read, sorry, from Abraham Maslow, who's obviously yes. very very well known uh, yes. in the psychology world and responsible for Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes, of but needs, he said, if yes. I was yeah, if I was dropped in the ocean and I had a thousand miles to swim, I'd still start swimming. And it's that mindset that um, you know we're born to struggle, born to strive, but also born to uh, thrive and succeed. So it's that. Yeah optimistic as you said optimistic outlook on life that no matter what's kind of thrown at me I've got the ability to uh, work my way through that somehow even if you don't know how that is it's just yeah. having a, a willingness and a curiosity um, and an optimism to just keep going 
Willow wants to know, how do we learn to be resilient? Great so, question, Willow. Yeah, it is a great, it's a great question. Um, so I think there's a few keys. I would say um, the biggest one is a willingness to uh, get to know yourself. Yes. And, um, that's about a willingness to kind of turn inwards and, and spend that time. You know, you mentioned before about writing being a fantastic yes. tool for that, but um, spending time just really getting to know you and what's important to you, um, getting to understand your personality, um, understanding what's at the core of what you believe about the world and, and those yeah. kind of core beliefs and core um, core values that we all hold. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, in amongst all of that, it's the it's that sort of dual thing of looking inwards and understanding yourself, but also looking at the world around you and understanding how you fit within that. And when you yes. have experiences, it's a willingness to reflect on that and um, learn from it. And what did that experience mean? And um, how's that impacted on me? What could I have done to change the situation? What might I do next time? So it's that combination of self-awareness and curiosity and yeah. then I'd probably add if I had to add another ingredient into that cake I'd say yeah. self-compassion so yes uh, the ability to um, talk to yourself in the same way that you would talk to someone that you love or to a dear friend so being able to understand you know talk to yourself in that kind compassionate way you know this is really hard at the moment this is really difficult you're doing the best that you can we're going to find a way through this who can support you so you know all the all of the encouraging, compassionate things that we say to the people. To other we people, love. we Absolutely. need to say them to ourselves yeah. as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So, like you said before about self care being really important, self compassion is something that you can give yourself even when you're super busy. You don't yes. have to stop and go and do anything special. You can just spend a couple of minutes, you know, just reassuring yourself and directing some kindness and some self-compassion to yourself it's one of the best self-care tools that you can use yes. and develop yeah yeah Zara wants to know going back to your um example before why would a person not try to swim in that case so figuratively speaking um I'm going to let you answer that one Beck. <laughs> I guess it's the equivalent of kind of learned helplessness you know, yes. so it's the person that if they were sort of dropped into the ocean or, um, you know, fell out of a boat and the boat sank or whatever, would just kind of go, it's too far, it's too hard. Um, I give up. Yeah, you know, I give up. Or um, I'm not a good swimmer. I don't have what it takes. Um, I can't do this. So, you know, we all, we all, uh, we all listen uh, very acutely to that inner talk or that self-talk. So yes. if you've got strong, positive self-talk, um, then, you know, that's that's part of that resilience. But um, yes. people can learn that kind of sort of helpless uh, mindset. Yes. But I guess the, the point that Abraham Maslow was making is that, you know, we're born as humans to strive and we're born to try and we're born to be resilient. Um, yes. So that's why it's called learned helplessness because most of us, 99.9% of people, if you did drop them in the ocean and they couldn't see land in sight, they would start swimming because that's just our human condition is to just, yes. you know, give it a go. <laughs> so we have to and get that one percent just with give that. up. Yep, yep, yep. And that would be a learned, you know, predominantly yeah. a learned behaviour. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, um, it, it sort of aligns a bit with the, I hate these words, victim mentality. I, I really don't like those words. but No, I don't um, think we've got a, a better equivalent though. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I, as they're coming out of my mouth, I'm like, I just don't like yeah. those words, but that's what we're talking about, isn't it? It is. It's that um, idea that, uh, you know, uh, it's it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum to resilience. Yes. Because it's, um, and, and, you know, uh, I guess the, the reason why the words probably don't sit with you very well is that it does have a kind of negative connotation yeah. um, around it. But it's, um, and people don't mean to be like that, that they're, no, they're unaware, unaware that that's um, the mindset that they've developed. So, yeah. Um, like I was saying before, the, the more time you can spend practicing self-awareness and being really mindful of your own uh, inner self-talk and your own kind of internal monologue, um, yeah. you can overcome, you know, ending up in that in that sort of small, small percentage of people um, yeah. who, who don't swim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, James wants to know, do we ever fit in? That's a great question, James. Oh, James, I um one of the things that I'm really passionate about is um, people finding their tribe. Um, yes. you know, and I think any of the research that's sort of been done on you know uh, uh, tribes and how do you find your your people or the people that um, you know accept you exactly as you are, who you've got similar, values and outlook on life who you just yeah. really click with um yeah. anything that's been done in that space kind of suggests that again you've got to start with yourself you know yeah. so, so when you can accept your own self when you can be compassionate to yourself when you can like the person that you are and you know we all have little foibles and traits that you know, perhaps we don't love about ourselves, but being yeah. able to accept those, the good and the bad, the light and the shade, um, yes. means that then we're open to being able to interact and fit in with other people. But um, it's a great question because it's it's probably up there with the sort of number one fear that people have. And it's what yes. stops from doing a lot of things is mm -hmm. what, if, what if I'm rejected? What if I don't fit in? What if people don't love me? What if I'm not good enough? Yeah. Um, you know, we're... We're born to be social creatures, so we need yeah. to be surrounded by other people. And when we don't have a few tribe members, then, um, you know, we do feel very isolated and disconnected, and that's what causes a lot of uh, issues for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and when we talk about people in our tribe, that means people that genuinely love you unconditionally, um, that support you no matter what. Um, and that are there for you to lean on. That's what we mean about having people around you that um, are your tribe. And in terms, James, of fitting in, when you find your tribe, you will always fit in with them. Isn't that right, Beck? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it was one of the things when I was when I was putting together my book, I was really conscious of making sure that I included some you know some tips in there around yeah. how to find your tribe so yeah. um, it's funny uh, it's it's one of the sections of the book already that people are saying to me oh my goodness I love chapter eight you know because yes. that's the one around you know who's in my village who's in my tribe who supports me how do I build a team um, you know and it's it, it really is that how do I find a place where I 
um, fit in and uh, how do I find those people that do love me unconditionally for who I am? Yeah, yeah. So got some great questions coming in. Leo wants to know what is a tribe? Ivy wants to know who should be in our tribe and James wants to know when do we find our tribe? Great <laughs> questions for you, Beck. They are great questions. So I always think about, um, so I kind of, uh, the way that I visualize it is that yes. we all have um, our, I call it a clan, but you know, you yes. have the people who you are related to. So in my clan, I've got four kids. So they're yes. definitely in my clan um, and my husband. So sort of my immediate family and then my, you know, my parents, my siblings, they're sort of my yeah. clan. Yeah. And then kind of beyond that, the next layer is my tribe. So, um, you know, they're the people, uh, like I said, who have a similar outlook on life, who embrace similar values. They're the people that when I'm interacting with them, the relationship flows uh, really fluidly, really easily. Yes. Um, and as you said, you before, don't they accept, feel stressed they or you. anxious around no, them. No, not at all. And they accept you just as you are. And, you know, for some people, we've got to recognize too that just because people, they might be blood relatives, that doesn't necessarily mean they necessarily fit in there either. Because sometimes yeah. they do cause a lot of stress and angst. And that's a so. tough realization for people. I know yep. it was an incredibly tough realization for me yep. that some of my uh, extended family were not my tribe. Yeah, and yep, incredibly difficult to deal with. And then I guess the question, the, the listener who was asking about how you find them or, you know, wh yes. whereabouts in life do you find them? Um, one of the things that I've noticed when I'm talking with um, clients or friends or even my own experience sort of reinforces it is that um, each time I enter uh, a new situation or, I, you know, um, it might be starting at one of my kids' new schools is yeah. that I... I always have, um, you know, in my mind uh, sort of an eye out for who are those people who, you know, when I do meet them, there's sort of that, um, as we said before, easy flowing conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, you start talking about a particular issue and you can just start to see that you have similar interests in terms of just your outlook on the issue. So it might not yeah. be that you're necessarily interested in the same hobbies or the same um you have the same passions, but you have the same passion for something. So you can kind of say, oh, yes, this person, you know, they approach life in a similar way to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whether it was my mum's group or different jobs or different work environments or um, different sort of social circles, yeah. I, you know, I've always sort of thought I'll just keep my eye out for that one person that I click with. And you slowly yeah. start adding those people, you know, Um and sometimes it can be someone who's kind of on the outer fringes of your life for a period of time as well. Yes. And then you yes. share an experience together or you go through some kind of adversity together yes. and they step up, yes. you know, instead of instead of sort of staying on the fringes, they lean into you and they yeah. um, support you and they really sort of show um, their degree of uh, commitment to you and to that relationship and so yeah. that that also can be another way that we sort of you know tribe members kind of they move from the outer fringes of your sort of uh community um into being somebody that uh you know does become part of your kind of inner support circle so um yeah. i did see one of the listeners comment before you know what are we talking about in terms of a tribe yes. uh, and another language that people might be more uh, comfortable with is talking about your support network yes yes yeah 
these are the people who are really supportive of you and what you do um, and it's it's an easy conversation and it's a nice place to be when you're hanging out with them, I guess. Um, you see a question from Greg. What if you have a family and those you want to be in your tribe are not accepted by your family? Fantastic question, Greg. And Beck is definitely the one to answer that for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I'm understanding Greg's kind of uh, question, I, I think what he's saying is if you have people who – you would like to include in your life who who are important to you but they may not necessarily get on with other members of the tribe maybe that's yeah. the question yeah. um, and so I think that there's absolutely uh, there's there's a necessity sometimes to sort of have overlapping circles you know so you, you, you identify sometimes just because you're the common factor and um, you can see uh, value in those relationships or that you really value them and you want to keep all of them together, um, mm -hmm. sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean that those people all, all click and, uh, you know, that those relationships are going to work. And so, um, you know, when if that's something that people are experiencing, I guess it's being mindful of how can I um, still enjoy having those relationships and keeping them um, functioning in a really healthy way, but yeah. maybe... Uh, putting a little bit of a boundary up between people that don't necessarily um, have the same degree of uh, strength in their relationships. So um, it might mean that, say, I had a couple of people in my own uh, inner support network who they themselves uh, can't establish a relationship, then yeah. uh, it just means that when I relate to them or have those relationships, I just do it independently of each yeah. other so that they're not, yeah. uh, they're not placed in a position that they um, have to be in the same place yeah. at the same yeah. time. Absolutely. It does make it more challenging if it's, you know, your close family members who, uh, you know, who Don't are Don't like your that, partner. Yeah, it does make it really difficult because, um, you know, and I guess this is, this is one of these things, you know, one of these life challenges, like I was saying, that we all have to navigate yes. at this time of the year. I'm sure that people are, if they are in those, you know, situations, uh, it, it becomes even more challenging because, you know, when we get to holiday time of the year, um, yes. Lots of family gatherings and social gatherings and uh, sometimes, you know, you have to try and navigate your way through that and there's no easy answer. You just have to do the best that you possibly can and yeah. I think, um, you know, just giving people lots of empathy and compassion uh, is, is probably the key. Yeah, yeah, and being nice to each other. Evie wants to know, when do we know we have just settled with what we got instead of really being with the people we should be with? Another great question for you, Dr. Beck. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to have lots of tricky questions this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the things that, and this applies to, I guess, settling in terms of settling with relationships or settling yes. with, uh, life circumstance or with jobs or work or any of that stuff is yeah. um, one of the tools that I like to get people to use and I use it myself all the time is yeah. um, what I call uh, doing a, a life navigation check. So yeah. um, doing a bit of a stock take of kind of where you are at the moment in life and what are the things that um, you were talking before about filling up your cup. So what are the things yes. that you've got that fill up your cup? people, uh, interests, hobbies, work, um, you know, all of those things, looking at all of that. And then um, I get people to draw a compass on a page. So a nice big arrow down the centre of the page and put an N at the top for north. Yes. And then 
do a bit of a brainstorm of what are all of the things that I would like to have in my life or I'd like to have more of in my life yeah. and write down everything that you can possibly think of. Um, and they can be things which are tangible things that you can kind of see in the external world. So it might be um, I'd like to have uh, more free time um, yeah. with my kids or I'd like to go running more or I'd like to have um, – more time at the beach or you know so it can be things like that that you can kind of see or they could be internal things so I'd like to just have a little bit more calm or I'd like to have a little bit more reflective space or yeah. um, so all of the things that you'd like to have in your life and then at the bottom of the page where s would be if you're sort of imagining a compass yeah. all mm -hmm. of the things that you want to move away from so um, you know it might be uh, if there's um you were talking before about toxic relationships. It might yes. be that you want to move further away from the people where that's kind of a characteristic or it might be um, busyness just for the sake of being busy, you know, like that sort of um, yeah. in un unproductive busyness that you yeah. just want to sort of move away from. Or it might be um, spending too much time getting caught up um, uh in pursuits that perhaps aren't healthy or I want to move away from drinking too much alcohol or I want to move yes. away from... I want to stop smoking. Yeah, all of, all of those things. So, so whatever it is that you want to move away from, putting that at the bottom of the page and then sort of imagining, okay, where am I pointed at this moment in time, which is why I call it a navigation check. So yeah. if you sort of think, okay, based on uh, sort of my reflection on where my life's at at the moment, where yeah. would I say the needle's pointing? Is it pointing more north? Is it pointing more south? Is it east-west? And then um, looking at that and going, okay, what could I do? What's something really practical that I can do right now that's going to help me to spin that needle around and be pointed more in the direction of my true north point? Yes. Um, and then start to plan around that. And, um, you know, it's really great thinking of it that way because it gives you that freedom that um, you can be heading along in one direction thinking this is really great it's you know it's it's the path of my choosing it's where I want to be headed yes. but then sometimes you kind of find yourself feeling a bit lost or I'm not sure if this is actually the relationship that's you know right the one that's me. right for me or I'm not sure if this is the job that I want to be doing or I'm not sure if I really enjoy playing golf anymore or you know whatever it might be and again you can kind of just stop and you can go okay is this heading me in the direction of north has north maybe changed a bit would I add a few extra things there or would I take yeah. something off the list so it's that just living in that really uh, mindful place of where is it that I'm trying to head to where have I come from and where am I right now so being cognitively flexible enough to move yourself in time and space um, uh, you know, around that compass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, Dr. Beck, before we run out of time, I wanted you to tell our listeners about your book, The Journey of You. What's it about? Why did you write it? And who will benefit from getting getting your book? Because I've put your contact details and your website up in the chat box already. So um, I just I really like you. This is a fabulous book, listeners, The Journey of You. Um, and Beck, just tell us how you, what started the book for you and who will benefit from reading it? Um, so all of these fab fabulous questions that I've had today are exactly yes. in line in line with the reason why I guess I wrote the book. So um, yeah. the book is written, it's called The Journey of You because um, whilst I've been the person who's authored it, um, as 
readers make their way through the book, it's at, they actually find this is about their story. So it's about them yeah. uncovering the story of their own life. Um, it's about them understanding uh, all the versions of themselves that have come in the past, so what their personal history is. Um, it's about uh, where they would like to see themselves in the future, so kind of future versions of themselves. Um, and it, and it's really that story of how we're all a work in progress. Um, and so everyone who picks up the book is going to have a slightly different experience because everyone's got a different life history, everyone's yeah. got a different life story at the moment. Um, and it's written, I guess, a little bit like a self-development um, journey because each it's got 12 chapters and each chapter yeah. has little exercises and activities that people can do at the end of it and there's a theme for each chapter so um, in the beginning it's sort of reflecting on um, who am I what's important in my life what do I need to be happy Um, and then uh, it leads them through kind of that journey some of those exercises that I was talking about so being able to do that kind of what is my true north how do I get there how do I what are the actions that I can take to uh, move in that direction. Um, like I said before, chapter eight's all around how do I find my tribe or how do I find my support network who can who yeah. can um, support me on my journey. Um, and then towards the end of the book, it really is a call to action to um, reflect on those challenges and experiences that you've had that have kind of shaped the person that you are. But how do I integrate what I've learned into my kind of current life and future life? Yeah. Yeah. Um and then um, getting people or encouraging people to actually write and tell their own stories because, um, you know, it's a really powerful way that we can it connect is. with other people. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're wired to sort of uh, resonate with stories. So yes. um, being able to, yeah, be, be really uh, cognizant of your of own Brown, stories. We are all hardwired for connection. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And one of my my, um, favourite reflections is that we love stories so much that even when we're asleep, our brain keeps on telling them to ourselves. Yes, (laughs) yes. That's why we dream, dream. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so basically... It's, uh, it's written for anybody, but it's yes. uh, the way that I've, I've um, designed and written it is for somebody who perhaps has never, ever done any self-reflection before uh, in a really formal sense or they've never done any self-development stuff before. Um, yeah. They can pick it up. It's written a bit like an adventure story um, yeah. and, and, like I said, really practical, lots of um, steps uh, and diagrams and case studies um, and a huge resource section in the back so that um, there's a watching list with some of my favourite uh, TED Talks and yes. other videos, a uh, huge reading list of, you know, a lot of my favourite books and um, articles. And, uh, yeah, so I'm really, really thrilled that it's out in the world. I am equally thrilled for you, Je- uh, Beck. I'm really grateful that you've come on Radio Tony in what is one of the busiest weeks of your life to tell our (laughs) listeners all about your new book, The Journey of You. Um, Again, if you want Jack uh, Beck's book. I'm getting my J's and B's mixed up this morning. Pop on to Beck's website. It's www.thejacksoncompany.net. T H E 
D-J-A-C-K-S-O-N-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y.net and you'll be able to find out more about Beck and also get her fabulous book. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Beck, for coming on Radio Tony the, today. Um, I wish you a fabulous rest of the book and I, uh, rest of the week and I know that the book is going to be a fabulous success for you. Congratulations. Well done and thanks again. Thanks so much, Tony, and Merry Christmas to everybody listening. Yes, have a you're going to have a fabulous Christmas, Beck. <laughs> All right, listeners, <laughs> we have no time for a break, so I'm going to say goodbye to Dr. Beck and welcome on our next guest, Trish Jenkins. But before I welcome her on live to Radio Tony, I'm going to tell you a bit more about Trish. So the strongest prison bars are in your head, according to Trish. Resilience is the ability to come back from a setback and Trish Jenkins is intimately acquainted with that journey. After unwittingly working for a fraudulent business associate, Trish was found in breach of the Corporations Act and lost everything, including her family home. Even worse, in January 2009, with the world still hemorrhaging from the global financial trap crisis, Trish was sentenced to eight months in prison. Isolated from her husband and three little girls, Trish could have succumbed to despair. Instead, she learned more in prison than she did in 20 years in, in business um, about change, resilience and attitude. On returning home, Trish used what she'd learned to overcome PTSD, anxiety and depression. She's gone on to become an author and build an international speaking business, empowering leaders and staff to tap into their resilience X factor and be more effective in their work with their workmates and in their mental ecosystem. Trish enjoys thrillers and laughter with her family. She and her husband, Justin, have been married since 1992. Their daughters are grown and making a difference in their own worlds. The Jenkins enjoy living in the upper Caboolture and are active members of City Point, a thriving local church. Wherever possible, Trish will slip away and find a horse to have a ride. Welcome to Radio Tony, Trish. Oh, thank you, Tony. It's great to be here. I'm so glad that you've been able to come on the show today. So let's start at the beginning. What was your background and how did you become involved in a fraudulent business? Well, my background was, was fairly average. I, I was in sales and um, I started to... Uh, invest in real estate and back in the early 2000s that was a was a thing a lot of people were doing and going to seminars on how to get ahead uh, and motivational yeah. you know type mentors so my husband were and I were buying real estate we had a few properties and then we thought well it's a bit slow we needed some cash flow because if you do real estate it's often asset rich cash flow poor yeah. so we started looking at trading and you know share trading that sort of thing which we didn't really have the knack but uh, we knew that some people were very, very good at it. And this um, person that I was introduced to uh, would trade for people. And he actually, during the time that I knew him, he got a license from the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. So I had no reason to doubt that uh, he was on the level because I figured if the government gives him a license, then they must have done some investigations as well. I did as much as I knew to do, yeah. which is not as much as I know to do now. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
Um, and he basically was busy and we invested with him and then he asked me if I would be uh, a liaison person for people who wanted to invest in the fund. Yeah. And uh, I, I did that and um, really to cut a long story short because I, I would like to make sure we have time, enough time yes. to talk about the building resilience yes. which would actually be a benefit to people. Yes. But um, what I did wrong apart from trusting the wrong person, is yeah. that uh, I didn't know that he was actually stealing investors' funds, including mine. We had $104,000 with him of our own money from our line of credit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we had a pretty big ouch factor in there ourselves. Uh, but if he had lost it legitimately trading, we could have managed. Uh, but he was a thief and uh, he was stealing people's money and just giving enough money back when the payments were due to keep people thinking that it was going along. And mm -hmm. I was oblivious to that until such time, it's called a Ponzi scheme. And yes. in 2005, suddenly he stopped paying and he stopped supplying funds to me to pay people because my job was to make sure they got paid each month. I was the contact yeah. person mm -hmm. and I authorised the payments. And uh, he stopped paying and... At first, when people objected and wanted their money back, they got it back. Yes. So he just he just paid them out, and that was fine. So it was, we were none the wiser. But after three months, he was he completely stopped, and I was the person that people phoned, emailed, they turned up at my home, just asking, begging, demanding their money, and I wasn't trained in that side of things, and. I know now when I look back what was going on with me, but my yes. resilience ran out and yes. I, I could not take it anymore. And I also had, uh, I realised that my boundaries were weak because a true professional would have said, well, I'm sorry, this is the situation. We're not getting paid. See you, see you later. But I was emotionally invested and I felt like I had to fix the problem. And I said to him, you've got to pay these people. I can't take this anymore. He said, no, no, no. I said, look, you've got some money here. Can I use that to pay them and give them some relief until you get back on track and things pick up next month? He said, all right, do that. So I took money that was meant for something else and I paid the people with it. Yeah. And uh, even though I didn't steal it, I do own what I did. What I did was, was wrong. I didn't know how wrong it was. I didn't yeah. know it was jail time wrong. Um, it was just moving money to another, but I can't justify it. I, I just have to live with that and own it, and that's what it was. Um, but that was a breach of the Corporations Act because it was a misuse yeah. of funds. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, the government did not demand the investors give it back, uh, to, you know, for the for the liquidation. There was a liquidation, yes. and that's yes. when all our, our assets were sold up to pay liquidators, and uh, that took two years um, which was a long time, during which time uh, I found out that he was a crook and yeah. I researched and wrote a book that I didn't publish at that time on uh, fraud warning signals, what people need to watch out for before they part with their money yeah. uh, or even get into a relationship because I met an investigator who actually hired me to promote him because I was telling everyone, you know, Use an investigator if you have to, find out this, find out that. And he said to me, Trish, can you write this book for women? Because by the time they call me, they have no money to pay me to do my job yeah. for them. And usually yeah. it's connected to a romantic relationship. Now, yes. yeah. mine was not a romance, but yeah. that that's what in uh, 
I have since published the book and, and it's it's one of, I've got one for women and one for men on yeah. this very thing because it's our heart. When we want something to be true, yes, we'll tell lies to ourselves and we, we yes. won't see the forest with the trees. So anyway, uh, that took a couple of years of loss and it actually did help me with my resilience to write that book and research yeah. and understand because I needed to understand how I'd missed it. But then I was facing... Uh, my, my lawyers switched from corporate lawyers to criminal lawyers when I was served with papers that were going to charge me with the F word, uh, which yes. I don't I don't like the F word and uh, yes. I, don't, I don't like either of the F words, but the one I'm talking about is fraud. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. And so, so in January 09, I fronted up because I never denied what I did. I mean, I did what I did. No. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so, you yeah. did it with the best intentions as well. Yes, the road to hell is paved with the best intentions, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I can laugh now. I wasn't laughing then. No. But um, <clears throat> so I, I fronted court and uh, I received the maximum, <gasps> which was, yeah, I know, right? It was uh, two and a half years suspended after eight months. So oh. I basically spent almost a whole year away from my husband and our three little girls. Uh, Chelsea was 10 at the time oh. and we have identical twin girls who were seven. Oh, mm. wow. So that was, that was, that was really hard. And um, I did see someone, I did go to counselling in the lead up, so I got some yes. strategies there about just telling myself I'll handle it, I'll handle it. Yes. Uh, and, but the strategies I've learned since have helped me, which I will share, because um, yes. I, I like to be very practical about the how-tos of these things. I was just going to say, how on earth did you prepare yourself and your family for you to go to jail? Well, I was fortunate that I have a husband who stood by me and he did not blame me. Yeah. Uh, he said, look, you were deceived by this man. It's not your yes. fault. I, I blamed me. I blamed yes. me. <laughs> yes. But he, he said, look, we've got three little girls to get through this and we've got to get them through this so that they're yeah. not uh, as affected as they need to be. And so my yeah. focus was on them. We moved in with my parents at Caboolture, uh, which is yeah. just north of Brisbane, um, and my husband actually had to give up his job. He was selling real estate. Yeah. Uh, so he, we had to move um, because in the event that the lawyers said there was a chance I'd go away, they thought it would be for about two months yeah. Uh, given given the nature of it, and yeah. they said you, they actually thought even the prosecutor later on, uh, or there was a, a lawyer who said to me she thought that I would just get a severe warning and and walk yeah. out of court. Yeah. But that's that's by the by. Uh, my focus was on I have to navigate through this yeah. in a way that will not damage my children any more than it yes. than it needs to. And so all the motivational books I read, all the things I'd gone to, all the spiritual stuff I'd learned, because I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a, um, a Christian, and yes. um, and I'm one of those Christians that actually take, you know, like it, it's it's very precious to me. And yes. so my relationship with God, and I would say to anybody, regardless of what your spiritual status is, tap into it, yes. um, because we are a spiritual being, and. And um, it does bring us comfort and perspective uh, and a long-term perspective. And, uh, and and just while Trish is saying that, 
um, it's about acknowledgement of a power higher than yep. yourself and whatever yep. that looks like for you That's uh, right. to give you support. Yeah, you know, people say, you know, faith is a crutch. Well, good. I, I, I need all the support I can get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no shame in in drawing on what you need to draw on. Some for some yeah. people, I mean, it's better, better than alcohol, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> and uh, in in my quiet time, uh, it, look, it was it was really hard, and I, oh. I had to when I felt like screaming, I would go for a drive and park somewhere quiet and isolated, and and just scream yes. and cry. Yes. Uh, I, um, you, you can't do it in front of your children. Yeah. You know, you, you cannot do that. Um, and so so that happened. Uh, and <laughs> But it, before I went in, a few days before I went in, I, I, I got to the point of, you, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, yes. um, they, they talk about, you know, you need to believe in a higher power, but they also have a thing called the serenity prayer. Yes. Which is... Yes. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, um, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. And I had to get to the point, even though I was praying that I would stay out, I actually had to accept the possibility, mm-hmm. in this case scenario. Yeah. And when I did, the bulk of the fear left. Yes. And I had a clearer head and I could plan. Yeah. Um, and that built my resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had that, that point where I was in of clarity. And then in my quiet time, in my prayer time, <laughs> a couple of things happened. I was I found myself watching TV and Roots was on. I hadn't seen it in yeah. 30 years about slavery. And the other yeah. one was um, Corrie Ten Boom's The Hiding Place, where she'd yeah. hidden Jews from the Nazis into yeah. the jail. And I just felt yeah. in my spirit, you are going to go in, but it's going to be okay. Okay. And I'll be with you. And I, that's just from me, from my spiritual point of view, that, that I just felt like there was a bigger plan uh, at play. Yes. And so that helped me a lot. And um, the sentence was rather shocking. Uh, yes. But the thing was, as I sat there in the dock, I was shaking with fear. Yes. Until the judge said what it was going to be, and it was going to be less than 12 months. Yeah. That's all I could all I could comprehend, and yeah. I've actually felt a sense of relief because it's the it's the anticipation of the the unknown yeah. that is actually more frightening than actually knowing and and yeah. knowing that exactly what you're going to be facing. I mean, you don't really know what it's going to be like, but that helped because oh. I had I had an exit at the other end. I just didn't yeah. know what the journey was going to entail. Yeah. Uh, so there I went. I went into prison, and um, how were you treated? Well, uh, differently Obviously in different. Obviously, it's not a pleasant experience. It's very damaging. It's yeah. it's very uh, dehumanising. Uh, and look, prison officers are a lot like school teachers. Yeah. So when you're at school, you may remember that there were some teachers who were encouraging and yeah. did their job well and they were diligent and they were strict and yeah. so you would you would behave for them but you knew they cared. Yeah. So you've got those people. You've got people, you've got school teachers 
who hate their job, they turn up just to do it, so yes. they're not engaged, they don't do anything extra and you don't bother asking them for any new pencils or anything that you yeah. might need. You know they're not going to be any use. Yeah. They're not they're not they're not a threat, but they're just they're no use yeah. to you. Yeah. And so you get teachers like that, you get prison officers like that. And then you get teachers who think that all kids are spawn of the devil and they're all going to end up in jail and they're no good and um, they hate their job and they're cynical and they they actually say spiteful things to them. Now, they probably can't get away with it quite so much these days, but when I was a kid, you know, yeah. Yeah. those teachers, you know, they, they just made your life hell. Yeah. And um, had that experience, yes. Yeah. So you have prison officers who are just nasty like that because it's, it's like, you don't need to kick the dog, but you do anyway. Now, it's it's less physical. Um, yeah. Women's prison is is not as violent as a men's prison. It does happen. I, I didn't see it, but I, I heard of things happening. But um, from speaking to people who work in the system, um, men's prison is more violent. But I've also heard officers say that they'd prefer to work in a men's prison than a women's because the aggression is up front. You know what you're dealing with. Right. With women, particularly women who are broken, um, yes. If I were to say what, look, and I can't judge everybody like this, but no. the best way to describe it is like being trapped in the ninth grade with all the mean girls. Yeah. <laughs> with all of Yuck. their discussion. I mean, when we look back at those girls, we we realise that they were probably had suffered abuse, they probably had, yeah. you know, issues having in their family and things that made them mean. And, of yeah. course, some people are just mean. Uh, they they just are. <laughs> but um, at first, um, because I came from a back, I didn't know I was privileged. And, and by normal standards, I'm not. I'm just basically your, your normal white middle class person. Yes. Um, but by their stand, but most people who go to prison are disadvantaged. Yes. They, they just are. And uh, so many of them thought I was posh and thought, assumed that, I thought I was better than them, and so there was a reaction against me from some oh. people. Oh. Um, they assumed, yeah, that because there's a bit of a hierarchy that goes on, and which I was oblivious to. Because uh, as as you know, I'm not dumb, but my street smarts were not great. Yeah. <laughs> I, gotcha. I had. I hadn't grown up with people who dealt drugs, and in fact, my my church experience is of people who used to do that who had changed their lives and that, you know, yeah. we would bring food parcels to, you know, people that were, were disadvantaged. So it was, yeah. you know, Tony, it was actually a privilege to get to know people from that background and all the different yeah. backgrounds and to see beyond, see our society thinks in terms of good and bad, yes. good people, bad people. And, and I actually, true. it's not true because as I passed through that stage and I got to know some of the women many of the women, I got to hear their stories. Yeah. And it turned my heart inside out. Yeah. And you see, when you can, um, bringing this back to resilience, that, yes. that ability to look at someone and see past their behaviour and their aggression and what they're doing, if you can see past that to see the person inside, that's what I call the resilience X factor. Yes. And um, 
someone's just uh, yeah there's a couple of questions the, oh there are too yeah, and yeah. Did, I, did I get some street smarts look I did um, I did get some uh, I learned a lot from my, my new friends <laughs> yeah when they realised they got to know me a little bit and they realised they thought I was odd uh, <laughs> especially because being a faith person person I knew I was not going to be ashamed of the gospel I was I thought yeah. God I need you in here Jesus I need you with me if I pretend I don't know you I'm going to be in a lot bigger trouble yeah. and uh, you know I need you to show up for me and uh, the funny thing is I, I quite often got in trouble for my faith because he would show up and it would be disruptive yeah. um, but those are other stories yeah. so I did learn about different types of drugs and and um, oh wow you know, things and and um, the the bonding that some women have when they are part of a of a like a motorcycle gang or something like that, and and my my knowledge of those things are that um, they would be mistreated and used sexually and yes. pastor and all that sort of stuff. But these women, because of the brokenness that's been in their life, the motorcycle gang was their family and was loyal yeah. to them and helpful to them, and they and it, it was all the stereotypes were just messed up for me, which was great. It was very yes. good for my mindset. And you see, the thing that I learned is is that how you see things, how you see determines how you succeed. And if yes. you can have, Tony, I, I heard you say earlier in the program about um, questioning how we, what did you say? It was about challenge the stories you tell yourself. Exactly. And Tell and, yourself different stories and you'll have a different outcome. See, we assume that the thoughts we have about, people are real and right we just you know you've only got to look at social media it's, well i believe this and it's like well that so there's no you know and i just think you know what i currently i, I really question looking at yourself and and also you know dr beck said um to examine yourself yes. and what you are believing because it may not be helping you and Correct. maybe just maybe you might be mistaken about your opinion Correct. And, uh, you know, that's that's a dangerous thing to say in this day and age because everyone's opinions is just so – it's like people talk about my truth. Well, if – you know, like, like it's like it's – Not everyone's truth. It might be my your but truth, but it's not everyone's. But, if, but what if it's not true? Yes. You know, what if your truth is that you're no good, you'll never be any good, and no one's ever going to love you? Yeah. You can, How you can damaging make- is that? You can make it true, but but it's still not true. You are absolutely valuable. You are precious. You know, if, if somebody, if the person who has the worst self-esteem in the world gets gets murdered, that person who killed them will go to jail because yeah. you are valuable as a human being. You are yeah. valuable. You have an inalienable value. And so it's like you, you consider a gold bar, right? Or say you've got a, a gold coin that is that is really, really worth something great, okay? Say it's worth yeah. $10,000, $10, right, this yeah. gold coin. You can put that gold coin in the mud. You can put it in, in pig poo. You, yeah. can, you can bang it with a hammer. Yeah. You can twist it around. You can bend it. But in the end, that gold coin is still worth $10,000, isn't it? Yes. So our experiences do not define who we are. And I know I, I was very fortunate that I already knew my identity and I knew my value. Yeah. It took a hit. It did take a hit because oh, um, I was very much afraid of what 
I've been a people pleaser and, and the people pleasing mm -hmm. in my, was connected to my weak boundaries. If I had not been a people pleaser, I would not have shifted that money. But I mm -hmm. felt like I had to fix it. I had to please these people. Mm -hmm. and I've had to learn to say no. Yeah. Uh, and my people pleasing made me afraid actually to come home from prison. Oh. Because I was afraid of the shame and of, of how people yeah. would treat me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can – see, that's a story that you tell people, but I had to take the risk, you see. So yeah. how you see determines how you succeed yeah. um, and how you see other people. And so the people that we surround us uh, – one of the people on the chat talked about um, if – your family don't like the person that you like. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I would suggest that you look at and look at what is it, are they seeing something I'm not seeing? Because you've got to be very careful about who you do have in your tribe. Yeah. Don't, don't just let anybody in. Um, and I guess I have a bit of a bias because I've since published um, the two books on uh, how to avoid getting ripped off in finance and relationships. Yeah. So we have we have brokenness and triggers that can draw the wrong people to us. And um, that's important to note because once you um, once you've been through something like that or, or similar, you're vulnerable. There's a vulnerability that um, fraudsters, tricksters. Uh, evil people they just it's like a beacon for them so you have to be really careful when you're yep. vulnerable because these people will make a beeline for you won't they that's right and that's why i wrote the books so that people ha actually had checklists uh, both for the romance and the finance yes so before you part with your heart these are the things you need to know Yes. And and our society has this romance culture that yeah. says follow your feelings, follow your heart. Your heart is not your gut. Yeah. You know, we say oh, it's my sometimes heart. it misleads you. Yeah. My head says this, my heart says that. But if you if you pause and listen to your gut, your your, your spirit, you you it actually is actually a technical part of your brain. Um, yeah. but you feel it between our ribs and, and yeah. in our belly. And it is a still, quiet voice that is trying to say to us, uh-uh, and it's not the heart and it's not the head. It's it's that inner, the, there's actually science. Intuition. Intuition, and it's it's not a romanticised thing. It's actually for our self-preservation, for um, yeah. like when we were running away from saber-toothed tigers, they say. Yes. It's, you know, it's got that prickle on the back of your neck and you yes. just go, I don't know why, I've just got to run. So... Because and you so need to listen to that, people. You need to listen to your intuition. If it tells you it's not yes. right, you need to listen to it. And if I had listened to that, because it was trying to talk to me and I was answering it with all the motivational um, business cliches of, of you know, you've, you've no risk, no reward, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all this, you know, you, you see now here's um, if I'm just look, I've made some notes just to make sure I, I, I share with you the keys that I feel yes. well, that really helped me and maybe some of them might help your listeners. Um, Absolutely. 
so everything that happens is neutral. Like what happens to you, like, yes, some of it's really, really evil, but it's a happening, but <clears throat> we are the ones that give them meaning. Yes. So we decide whether it's a good thing or a bad thing based on our history, our rejection, our mistrust, our fear, our, our lust, our, our whatever it might be. Um, yeah. And so you've got to ask yourself, okay, how else can I see this? Yeah. And when you're looking at someone, see the person, not the problem. I really love what Dr. Beck said about separating the behaviour from the person. Yeah, it's really it important. It doesn't mean overlook the behaviour <clears throat> because if they are not dealing with that behaviour, you are vulnerable to being hurt again. Yeah. Um, but it does, by, by being open to the possibility of seeing differently, it opens your mind to problem solving. It, yeah. it, just, it just questions that bias. So what I had to do... Uh, you know, I, I had all sorts of thoughts trying to land in my head, but I had to take charge of what went on in my mind, that self-talk, yeah. yeah, because I needed to survive. So I had to take charge of my mental ecosystem. So I, I talk about this yeah. thing, your, your mental ecosystem is, you know, an ecosystem is a delicate balance. Yes. And if, if pollution or, or, you know, there's a an oil spill or something, if something toxic comes into that ecosystem, yeah. it affects the whole system. Yes. So you've got a conflict with someone or you've got a problem with someone, it will also affect, it'll have a flow-on effect because it's occupying your mind and yeah. you're, you're saying, oh, I should have said this, should have said that, maybe I should sue them, whatever. It actually can taint every other area of your life because it's in your yeah. head. Yeah. So what you allow through your eye gate and your ear gate. Your eyes and your ears are gates to your head. They are. It influences your mind and your emotions. So um, who you spend time with, if you spend time with people who are constantly negative and running other people down, yes, that's poison. <clears throat> that's just, it's just toxic. Now, I was in prison with women whose lifestyle it, it was so hard not to join in the running down of someone else. Yes. And I'll tell you something really, really interesting, Tony. The Indigenous girls didn't do it. Wow. Um, I I was very fortunate that like racism is fairly prevalent in prison because people like to blame other people. Like they like to find reasons why they're yes. suffering and anyone else who looks like they've got something better than them, there's a resentment and so on. It's very much like children who who quick who measure, you know, mum's poured two glasses of milk, so they're eyeing off which one's tall, you know, which one has more in it, all that mm -hmm. sort of thing. If if you get that, that means I miss out. That mentality and and the um the white girls were just it was like seriously it was, <laughs> and I come from a culture where um we actually say that gossip is is actually sin. So when yeah. you're running someone, it's it's actually something you. You don't do. It's not neutral. You just don't do it. And so there I am. And uh, and I would say, well, you know, well, you know, you've got to understand that poor girl, blah, blah, blah. And and this lady said to me, Trish, stop defending her. <laughs> and I thought, I just can't be part of these conversations. And so yeah. I would try to be tactful so they wouldn't turn on me. But I knew they were talking about me behind my back and that's okay because <laughs> um, I was weird. <laughs> and um, I was. They thought I was weird because um, all I'd want to do is pray for people. Anybody who had a they, – they they wouldn't want to whinge to me too much because I'd say, would you like me to pray for that? And they'd go, oh, Jesus, God, get away. No, thank you. Or they'd say, actually, yes, would you please? Yeah. So I actually did by 
by taking my eyes off myself, here's another one. Self-pity is your biggest enemy. Yes. It's not your circumstances. It's not the other person. When I was in prison, the, the desire to feel sorry for myself was overwhelming. And yes. I think I was right to. Yeah. Justified. <laughs> you know, Absolutely I, justified. I remember sitting in my cell on my vinyl-covered mattress that crackled <laughs> next to my vinyl-covered pillow that crackled as well. Uh, in the in the short time that I was on my own in a cell because it was because of overcrowding, they have mattresses on the floor with other people in there. Oh, lovely. By myself. And I looked around at the walls, the Besser block walls, and, and the toilet that has the bubbler in the top of the cistern. So if you're thirsty, you drink out of the top of the toilet, which is okay. appetising. Yeah. And, and there's a dome, um, there's a metal dome on the ceiling that when they look in, they can, it allows them to see around the corner if you're in the shower because they count you every two hours. Lovely. So I, yeah, yes, yeah, beautiful. So I'm sitting there and I just had this feeling rising up, this feeling of panic rising up. And it was, you have ruined your life. Other people can make mistakes. They can, they can commit adultery. They can get divorced. They can, they can, um, whatever it is that they do, they can move on, find some new friends nobody knows, and they'll, they'll, they'll get on with things. And because uh, I imagine with people who have been divorced, that's very, very traumatic for them yes. and uh, to recover from, but, but there's more of a social acceptance of that, okay? So yes. what I did was socially unacceptable. I was yes. officially bad. The government had labelled me as a criminal. Yeah. And I had this sense of overwhelm rising, 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 and I just had this desire to scream. Yeah. And I peered over that pit, the abyss, and I just went, if I allow myself to fall into this, it's going to be much, much harder coming back. Yeah. And so I took a deep breath and I remembered, and once again, this is from my, my spiritual background, that there's a, yeah. there's a verse that says, um, and God makes all things work together for our good when we love him. It doesn't say all things are good. It says yeah. all things. All I heard was all things can be made to work together for my good. And I just said, God, I don't know how you can make this work for my good, but I'm going to trust you. And, mm -hmm. I, and I put myself back and I actively spoke words out loud to encourage myself. Now, here's the yes. thing. Just as another very practical tip I found, just as running is stronger than walking, you would agree? Yes. Running is a more powerful thing to do than walking? Yes. So too, speaking is more powerful than thinking. Correct, correct. So when my thoughts were, you're no good, you, you've ruined your life, it's, no, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things. I can get up from this. I'm a good person. I'm a kind person. Correct. I, I will mm -hmm. not feel sorry for myself. I still have gifts and talents. And, 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 and sometimes I couldn't even think of things, so I had to yes. pair it to counting my blessings. I can read. I can write. Yes. You know, there was original girl in there who couldn't read or write and she asked me if I would write a letter to the parole board um, so that she could get her son back when she got out. Yeah. Now, I thought I had it tough because I had no shoes till I met a man who had no feet. Yes. There's no place for self-pity. You've got to 
you know, there's someone who couldn't read or write. There's always someone worse off there's, than you, always, so always. all I could do was thank, even for those little things, I can read, I can write, I have two legs and arms. I had a husband on the outside waiting for me, supporting me. I had parents raising my children, helping me because, yeah. you know, my mum my is a fantastic mum. And, um, you know, the next best person to look after your children, if you've had a healthy upbringing, um, it's not everybody, but is usually grandma. Yes. So I had that. These women had children in foster care. Yeah. And so... Trish, before we run out of time, I just really want to read these comments to you and to the rest of the listeners. Harper says, this is so deep. Thank you for having this guest. Missy says, this is amazing to hear. Sorry you went through this ordeal, but thank you for sharing your story with us. Pearl says, you did try and do the right thing. Oh, thank you so much. You know, it makes it so worth it. Like... Being resilient, I've got lots of tips on being resilient, but those have been mainly the key ones. Um, and my message, here's the thing. What I found when I came home is that my message is more important than my pride. Yes. So yes. Our, our fear of public opinion is based on our pride. Yep. And so, you know, you've got to be brave and step up and offer what you have. Uh, yes. There's a whole lot more I could share about boundaries and toxic people in your life and dealing with them. I know. We'll um, just have to have you back on Radio Tony's <laughs> And, you know, while I was in prison, I wrote letters and journal entries that um, of my experiences, written as it happened, and uh, I've since published that as a book as well. So if anybody wants to know more too, they can go to my website, Trish's details up in the chat box, right. so it's www.speakertrishjenkins.com um, and also your email. <laughs> email is fine. And, look, if anybody's out, like, by sharing my story, it helps other people. And I do get to America um, a few times, uh, a year, well, sometimes every now and again and in the last yeah. few years. So if there is anybody who belongs to a group or a church or any organisation that um, – they'd like me to get in touch with to possibly speak to that'd be yes. a great help to me um yes. if i've been a help to you but oh my goodness tony when i connected with you i just knew that you your i just love your heart for people to help build their resilience and uh and that's what i'm all about because when you build strong resilience then yes. you can navigate through life storms um, so much better. So much better. And, you know, resistance is normal. We come against re resistance is normal. It's not an injustice. Um, uh, it's like Archimedes' principle of water. If you want to grow and, and move forward and, and you need resilience to get through, there's going to be some resistance. It's not your enemy. It just is. And so we build our resilience and we can glide through that water. Yes. and have that attitude of flexibility and response to change. And, and uh, all things can be turned around. All things can be I promise you all things can be turned around if we keep our head right and our heart right yeah and sometimes it's just knowing that you just have to start somewhere you don't have to make big plans just do one small thing different today and keep doing that one small thing different and suddenly three months down the track six months down the track your life is completely different and completely heading towards where you want to be and it just starts even with changing one thought in your yep. mind you can start and change your life today that's just brilliant um 
if there's someone on the call who's bound by fear, um, if I might just, I had one point, I just feel in my heart I need to yes. share. We've got if one you, more minute. One more minute. If you're bound Before by fear. Before I have fear, to talk to Kerry. Okay. Look, I might leave it at that. But but in, in regards to fear, just as what Tony said, baby steps, do something safe. I went to yes. a water park. I'd lost my highs and lows. I went to a water park and I only associated those feelings of fear with fear, but they're actually the same as excitement. Yes. So if you can find a small thing to do, a small like a like a, a ride on a in a park, little little things, little things little done things. consistently like make yep. up big things. Trish, yep. I just could talk to you all day. <laughs> um, we had a fabulous chat before Trish came on the radio, and I knew that that the listeners would really enjoy listening to you and hearing your story. Um, my radio Tony listeners are just. Uh, amazing people in themselves and they ask the best questions and engage with our guests and I'm thanking them again today. Trish, thank you for being on Radio Tony. I have to let you go as much as I don't want to. I'm dying <laughs> to talk to um, my other sponsor for the show, um, Kerry, today. But thank you for coming on Radio Tony and I'm sure that we'll catch up again and I'd like to have you on the, the show again in uh, 2020 so the listeners can have some more time with you. But uh, thank you and um, um, we're going to welcome Kerry onto the show. Hello, Tony. Yay, we've got Kerry live today. Um, our regular listeners would know that um, we've had some troubles getting Kerry on live and we finally worked out what the issue was, tiny thing to fix, and it's all done. And now you can hear Kerry's voice live. Yes, and do you know, with the HBDI, which we have been talking about uh, yes. for some time now with you, one of my weaknesses is technology. Yeah. So it took me a while and then with the <laughs> Sorry, I had to tell you this, Kerry. Um, Ivy's just gone, we can hear her. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's so wonderful. But the problem is, is that my technology side, and so when I'm under pressure, I cannot organise or work out technology. So I have to go into a system of try to eliminate. And we slowly did that. And then last mm -hmm. time off air between um, your lovely person in America and yes. yourself, we worked it out. Yeah. So that's what we did, listeners, after the last time that we couldn't get Kerry on live. We got um, Rebel to uh, problem shoot yep. until we found the one little thing that made it work. So I'm <laughs> really excited that our listeners can hear you. Now, you guys, you'll remember that I did that HBDI uh, testing about my brain. And so Kerry and I thought today that we'd like to delve more into each of what those uh, brain quadrants look like. And so I guess the best point to start, because I'm the guinea pig, is to start with my predominant brain quadrant, which is the C quadrant, and the C quadrant is the feeling self quadrant. And Kerry, would you like to explain to our listeners what the C quadrant is all about? 
So the C quadrant is our emotional side of things. It's our heart and it's the right side of our brain. So it's our sensitive side. Um, we like to make sure that we can sort of help teach it. A lot of teachers are in that area. Um, we can often be touch-feely, you know, so when you get meet someone... We're huggers. We're huggers and you touch them and they always touch the elbow. But if you meet someone who is analytical, the first thing you do is put their wall up because you touch them. Um, and so that's where learning what different um, people's strengths are. They're also very they're very supportive people. So they're often your mentors and your coaches. Um, they're very expressive. So they'll often be a little more animated when they talk. Um, usually emotional to highly emotional. Um, talks a lot, so they'll be great for radio hosts um, and for fear and feelings. You know, they they often will take things personally rather than going, okay, we can deal with that, move on. So it is a lot of all about us, our feelings, our heart, and that lovely emotional side that often grandma has. <laughs> James wants to know, does his test tell us? Uh, so Kerry's test is the HBDI test and she's done it on me and my strongest, most predominant part of my brain is in the C quadrant and that's all the things that Kerry's telling us about now. So I'm an emotional person. I like, I'm a touchy, feely, huggy, supportive, expressive, emotional person who talks a lot, funnily enough. Little did I know this, um, I, I've only just discovered some of these things recently and doing Kerry's HBDI tool has helped me gain further knowledge about the way that my brain functions. Um, Mari wants to know, what is meant when a person says animated? You want to answer that, Kerry? Yeah, animated is usually often someone who is creative or when you... I'll give you two scenarios. So you, you look at someone and they stand up on, you know, talk and they will stand there and they will talk on a very, very level, even keel. They won't move their hands. They won't move their eyes. And after a while, you get very bored. But when you've got someone who is very creative and animated, they use their voice in different areas. They'll use their hands. They will move their eye contact. Their their face will either light up or look really sad when they when they talk. And they're great storytellers. So that's the difference. Yeah, I, I, I as I do my radio show, if you guys could see me, my hands <laughs> are like all over the place uh, with emotion of what I'm discussing at that moment on the radio. Um, so my highest quadrant was quite high in the C um, and it was also in the D quadrant. Yeah. So I'll get you to tell our listeners what my D quadrant looks like. So um, in the D quadrant, her profile score was 104 and when she's under pressure, it only drops one point, which is 103. So it stays very even. So the D quadrant is playful, likes to break the rules, you know, um, take take tasks apart. Um, they're original, they're conceptual, um, they're future orientated. They look at what's ahead and what they can see. They can build on other ideas of other people. 
um, they're holistic, so they're so they're, they're often an area of where they can be nurturing, um, impulsive, um, spontaneous, uh, original in their creative thinking. They're imaginative. They're innovative, um, artistic. So these are all. This is very much Richard Branson, and um, and a lot of who scenes, I love, by the way. Sorry. Who I love, by the way. Well, they are. So the thing is, is that with um, people who are high in the D quadrant often are CEOs because a company needs uh-huh. someone who can see the future. And so that's where it's really important. If you have someone very analytical in a CEO area, the company yeah. will never move forward. All right. Okay. Because they don't see the future. They just see the now, the facts and the figures. Ah, okay. So, again, my test revealed that I'm high in the C and D. So, let's go now to the other two quadrants and we'll go back to A. And so, A is rational self. And I'll get you, Kerry, to tell our listeners about uh, the A quadrant of the brain and what that looks like. So the uh, we just spoke about the C and the D quadrant, which is the right yes. side of the brain. And the right side of the brain controls the left side of the body. Yes. So now we're going to move over to the left side of the brain, which is all your, um, you know, the analytical and, and organised. So the A quadrant is the critical. Um, yeah. Not in a nasty way. It's just giving, you know, um, constructive criticism. They're yeah. rational. They're um, factual. They like logic. They're like um, to test and prove things. They're uh, intellectual in their thinking. They're technical. They're the people like with, you know, kids that they'll find a radio or if anyone knows what a radio is any of these days and you pull <laughs> that apart and they want to know how it works. Uh-huh. Um, they're financial. They're numbers. They're mathematical. They're quantitative. Um, they know about money. They just want to know the facts, the figures. So on an example, there was a manager I just could not get along with. And every time I spoke to him, I spoke on the C quadrant, which is your feeling base. Hi, how are you? Once I did the HBDI, when I went and saw him next time, I I didn't do any fluffing. I just said, Tom, up and go, corner, um, corner area. I need about three pallets um, and X amount. I didn't say goodbye, didn't do anything. All he said was done. That was <laughs> He was high analytical. We had the best relationship there and we hardly ever spoke. But he, I, he understood that I knew where he was coming from and vice yeah. versa. So, listeners, do you see how knowing this stuff can help you in your daily life and if you're in a business, how it helps you in the business life? I've just found it so fascinating and I've popped Kiri's website back up on the chat box. Um, Her website, as you know, is called brainthinking.com.au and where you can go onto her site and do a mini uh, one of these tests which might – trick your interest in doing the bigger tests like I've done but even the little test Kerry that will give them some insights into their brain most definitely won't it yes it will what it is it's just a minute snapshot of where you will answer um, a questionnaire 
Yeah. And you'll have to tick a couple of boxes. Then when you press submit, it will come back to you and saying, congratulations, you've passed the first part. Please now complete the second part where you'll have to just tick three to five things. And yeah. then they'll come back and say, thank you very much for doing that. And Kerry will get back to you within 48 hours. So yeah. what it is that I will have a look on what you have um, submitted I yeah. will work that out and then I will send you a, a rough snapshot of how your thinking is. But when you have a full profile done, it actually yes. goes well into in-depth. Yes, way deeper. Kerry Mason wants to know, um, what will it help us learn? <laughs> so many okay. things, but go, Kerry. Something that Dr Beck um, said earlier is getting to know yourself. By getting to know yourself, then you will feel happier in areas of where um, that you know of and know where you want to go. It'll also help you in your everyday life with your partner, with yes. your children, with your work. So at the moment, I am I do mentoring on uh, a six week um, challenge for people, and yes. we start with the HBDI. And this young girl at the moment, she's twenty six and not happy in her in her position. So we've done the HBDI and we're working in of her understanding her and peeling back the onion layers. And we're five weeks in and she's just gone, oh my goodness, I never knew any of this about me. Already she's standing taller. She's a manager of where she works. She's now handling the staff different. She's getting more productivity out of them. And then yesterday we went and did a photo shoot with her and we have produced a nice business shot for her LinkedIn. And already I know she is more confident. She's more um, astute. She's intuitive and more conversational when she's yeah. talking to people. And that's something that you've really learned, Tony. Definitely. Definitely. Kirk wants to know what type of things does the test involve? It's really just questions, isn't it, Kerry? Yes, it is. It's delving into questions. And the number one thing that people always ask me is, how do I answer the questions? The first response that you think of is the correct answer. People often think when you have to do questionnaires, what do I put down that I think the facilitator is wanting? And that's incorrect. It's all about you. It's empowering you. And so there's no right or wrong answer. The perfect profile is your profile and understanding yeah. you. And it's just a questionnaire. And then I, wherever you are in the world, I can relay it to you through Skype like I did with Tony. Yeah. Exactly. So Kerry's on the west coast of Australia and I'm on the east coast of Australia. And it, um, I did the, the big test and all the stuff arrived in my mailbox, like all detailed information, um, which has taken me a while to sort of work through um, and, and, and grasp. But like it's just invaluable knowing when. Um, so for me, I should do um, anything that involves financial, numerical or mathematical stuff, I should do that. Um, now, I've got this right, Kerry. I should do that first thing in the morning because that's the stuff that I struggle with and that's 
the morning is when your brain is most active. Uh, and the easiest stuff, like the creative stuff, do that later in the day because that's easy for me and my brain is tighter. Have I got that the right way around, Kerry? Not exactly. Oh, so, no! So you're actually, so you're actually have more energy in the evening. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, right. I was going to say that and I thought, oh, that doesn't that's make sense. Right. But That's correct. So because Tony gets, because so what this questionnaire does is is ask about your um, your adolescent life, your high school life, your jobs, and also when you have the most energy and all that. So Tony gets the most energy in the evening. And well, so that's, that's true. when you should do your least favourite quadrant, which is her A quadrant, which is the analytical. Because ah, so I've got it the wrong way around. Yeah, her brain will be more alert. Whereas her um, creative side and feeling side, she can do that anytime because it'll come naturally to her. <sighs> so it's like when you, when everyone gets up in the morning, they'll automatically have their breakfast, clean their teeth, have a shower if you're a morning or night shower person. That comes automatically. Yeah. But if you've got to sit down and, and do something you don't want to do, people will often procrastinate and they will do it when they have the least energy and they uh -huh. start. And this is why we we ask these questions so that when you know the right time for you in the day is your learning time to do your least preference of thinking. So, Kerry, Emma wants to know, what if you don't remember things from the past for certain? So that's in relation to the questionnaire asking uh, things about your teenage years. It's, it's very basic questions. So 99% um, yeah. of people will always remember a little bit about school. Um, it's not asking too, uh, like, in-depth personal questions. It's asking basically just about school life, um, where you, what you did, what subject you did, things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, Emma, I'm quite sure that you will be able to answer those questions. They're not hard. Um, if you're worried, um, on Kerry's website, there's a way to contact her and just ask her a question if you're worried about anything or want to know some more uh, information about it. But definitely, they're, they're not hard, are they, Kerry? Oh, no, no, absolutely. I've had a couple of people that have been really um, struggled because they found it really hard as far as when they um, answered questions or anything because they were a little bit dyslexic. And yes. when I sent them a form that they could have a look at the words and then you can put a cursor over to see what the meaning is, they yeah. found it easy. So yeah. even those that struggle found it really easy but you can always contact me anytime at all and we will always step you through things yeah uh, Kerry is open to um even if you're in the u.s it doesn't matter because Kerry will be able to talk to you at a time when it's um it's going to work best for you. Um, so like this time of day in Australia is morning time and in the US it's your, your evening time. So this time of day is actually really quite good for Australians and Americans to communicate. But Kerry will be able to organise it. And before we run out of time, I just wanted to – there's a couple more questions, Emma goes um, – sorry, Jim does – your perception changes as you grow older. Good comment, Jim. What do yeah. you think, Kerry? 
Your brain doesn't change though, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, perception of things, as we grow older, our, our uh, learning abilities become um, more um, available where we learn things. But your thinking is still the same from where yes. you're born. So yes. I, I've had my profile done um, over a 14-year period where I had it done once and then I had it done again. Yep. And with that, it didn't change. Um, there was only just a slight amount of under pressure where as you get older, you tend to be out of control a few more things. And cope But better. your actual thinking actually still never changes. Yeah, yeah. Well, my wonderful listeners and my darling Kerry, I am sorry, but Radio Tony is out of time already. It's been an amazing show. Uh, Jim says the other listener was saying that she may not remember things as they were really were. Um, in terms of HBI testing, that's actually not going to matter because it will still show up how your brain thinks. So that's the remembering right. is not a key component of, is it, is it Kerry? No, that's that's fine. No, um, everyone. I've never had anyone who cannot remember anything um, about their past when it comes to the schooling, because these these part of things become emotion uh, part of our emotions. And when yes. your emotion uh, tracks with what you do, we remember it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my fabulous listeners and wonderful Kerry, I have to go before Rebel kicks me off the show. Um, thank you very much for listening in today for all your questions and comments. It's been an amazing show and I look forward to uh, a wonderful show next week as well. Um, bye for now. Thanks, Kerry. Over bye. to you, Rebel. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations. Exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony. With Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Radio Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mom!